Let's give a Westside welcome to Ken Chow. Hey, man. Thanks for the welcome. All right, I got to turn myself on. There you go. All right, hold back there, everybody. All right, it's great uh, to be here in the West. Uh, Lena and I uh, really have uh, been looking forward to this time together. And it's, it's a great honor just to be able to interview and just to see that if it's a great chance for us to work together. Uh, Lena and I have been Christians for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, uh, today is the uh, 26th birthday, uh, my spiritual birthday today. I was, uh, I was baptized in uh, July 13th in uh, 1988 as a campus student. And that's where I met my beautiful wife, Lena. And uh, we were part of the campus ministry up in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, Lena's not going to be able to share today because uh, she has a cyst in her eye. And uh, so, but she'll be able to share next week. We'll be back again next week and looking forward to uh, some more time together. I got to be honest, I was a little bit tempted to, you know, we've been married for a long time. Lena and I, we've been married for about 22 years. And when she's got the cyst in her eyes, I was thinking, you know, Lena, maybe God's trying to tell you something. But I realized that she has a little cyst, but I got maybe a big plank on my eye as well. <laughs> Today, is a, it's, a, it's a little bit emotional, to be honest with you, to come up here and to share because uh, today's uh, Alan Gloria's last day here. And uh, they are so much like parents to Lena and myself, even though we kind of knew each other from afar. So when I found out that today was their last day today, it really it hit me hard. Um, I still remember uh, when you moved here, Al, Gloria, and I uh, appreciate just your heart for the church here in L.A. And I remember those times as Lena and I were young uh, interns. And uh, we were just really just didn't know what we were doing. And uh, we looked uh, to these uh, brothers and sisters who walked really so many miles in the faith before. And you really inspired me with your marriage and with your faith. And uh, we really are going to miss you uh, so much. Lena, I just got back from a trip uh, to Vietnam. And uh, they celebrated their 20th anniversary. And part of that is it's full circle, because I still remember Alan Gloria praying over us as we sent out the team. I don't think we appreciate enough what L.A. has done uh, in terms of sending out teams and really giving faith to the world. The Church of Vietnam is doing awesome. Uh, right now, they still operate underground. Uh, they have about 170 disciples uh, in Ho Chi Minh City, and they're still underground. But they've learned how to work with the police and with the government. So it's kind of like a give-and-take relationship. And uh, it was awesome. We met together, and Dad and I and Natalie had a chance to go there. And uh, we were part of the team that were sent out, and it's great just to see uh, them flourish at this time. I still remember 20 years ago, about 21 years ago, and uh, we got together in this this room, and it was full of uh, Vietnamese uh, Americans. And we got together, and we were talking about the team. And uh, the question was, you know, what do you think about when you think about Vietnam? And uh, the first thing that came to my mind was just suffering and hardship and pain. And, uh, but there was this one brother, he stood up and he says, I see hope. I see vision. I see God's dream. And when he said that, in my heart, I was like, darn, I wish I said that. You know how it is? Where you go, man, I wish I'd, I'd taken over, uh, to do that again. But uh, it was great because what I didn't see back then, I was able to see this past week that in a country that was so torn by war, and I think that Americans 
have an intimate relationship with Vietnam. And that whole episode in, in U.S. history changed uh, so much of the, the U.S. landscape as well. But just to see the faith and just to see what God has done has been amazing. So what, what did uh, Dad and I do? We, we brought them a secret weapon for the next 20 years. So for the first 20 years, we taught them about the gospel of grace and God. The, uh, the next 20 years, we hope that this secret weapon called the selfie is going to help them uh, carry on as well. A little bit of Americana there. Lena and I are so grateful uh, to be here. Uh, we... Uh, We want to let you know a little bit about ourselves. Uh, we became Christians a long time ago, like 26, I mean, that's like a long time ago. Uh, I know what you're thinking, why well, he still looks the same. I know, I know. Uh, but uh, that was when we were dating, and uh, you can't see it, but uh, behind there was uh, the eruption of Mount Pinatubo, like 8,000 miles away, and you can still see the ashes. And that's when we were dating together. We were trying to figure out, is this going to work, and... Uh, uh, well, the rest is history. Uh, we've been married for about 22 years, over 22 years, and I want to just introduce uh, our family a little bit to you as well. Well, this is what I've learned in the last 22 years. <laughs> I want to give some free advice to the brothers. If you get nothing from this sermon today, you're going to get this. This is what I've learned. And I, I love this card. This is a card that uh, I gave Lena for a Valentine's Day. And I, I love the caption. to say it again. He says, I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. And uh, I want to use this kind of like a springboard for our lesson today. What it means to, to really uh, walk with God. And I'm not talking about this, this insecure feeling of being wrong, but really some attributes that Jesus laid out for us as he started his ministry. And what was it that Jesus wanted us to have in our lives? These are our kids. Um, I asked them to find, a, you know, a funny picture about themselves, but uh, this is what they came up with. And uh, Elizabeth's in the middle. She's actually a student at the uh, Pepperdine University. And uh, Nicole is, um, is a junior, going to be a, a senior uh, coming up. And Gabby, uh, I have some good news. She was potty trained this past week. So... If you notice the rice bowl haircut, that is a rite of passage for all chow girls. Uh, it's, uh, it's just something that you got to go through. If you want to be a chow girl, you got to go through that. But we figure that it's good that you go through it early so that you can just get it out of the way. So those are our girls. And Gabby's two and a half going on 17. You know, my wife is a very special person. This picture is uh, about uh, with her going to Myanmar. About 10 years ago, uh, Myanmar went through a devastating um, hurricane. And in that hurricane, they lost about 110,000 people. And literally, there was a storm surge that came in and wiped these people away like ants. And there's a tremendous amount of, of suffering and devastation sometimes uh, in Asia because the infrastructure is not there. So when things happen, it happens and it causes a lot of destruction. Lena and I uh, had visas. We were one of the foreigners that actually had a chance to go in to Myanmar at that time. And uh, it was a police state country, and it was very dangerous. So I went in before, and Lena went in afterwards to bring in food, uh, organize, uh, help for the country. And uh, I went in before, and I was like 
kind of like a 007 kind of deal. I went in, I was really, I had sunglasses and all kinds of stuff. I went in and I was like sneaking around and I came back and I was so excited just to be back in, uh, in safe lands. And then Lena went in and when she came back, I asked her, I said, Lena, how was it? And she showed me these pictures and it shows you the difference between Lena and myself. Lena went in cool as a cucumber. And she went in and she hung out with the sisters, had a great time and delivered the AIDS, snuck in like $15,000 in her pocket. And, uh, that's my wife, and uh, she uh, does so many things with grace and love, and uh, I think sometimes it works a lot better than my, my ways. And uh, this is Lena again in Myanmar with the, uh, the girls, uh, some of the kids that she was, was working with, and uh, we were able to uh, set up uh, some new housing for families that had their homes blown away. And, uh, you know, I, I really am excited about some of those projects that we do around the world. You know, this is my 26th year as a Christian. And I love this poem so much. I shared it before, but I want to share it again. It's by T.S. Eliot. And I don't want to be deceitful in telling you I read T.S. Eliot. He's one of the hardest authors to read. It's almost impossible to read. But I do know this passage. He says that we shall not cease from exploration. And at the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. You know, we are on a journey, all of us, in our Christian walk, in our lives with God. And this one expresses it so well. It says we're always going to be exploring new things. We're always going to be finding new things, experiencing new emotions, new feelings, new ideas. We're always going to be doing that. But he says that, you know, when we do that, we come back to the place where we start and we actually learn it for the very first time and understand it for the very first time. To me, that is, if you want to know a little bit about myself, that verse, from a worldly perspective, really helps encapsulate what I feel in my walk with God. I'm always learning something. I'm always figuring things out. I'm always trying to figure out what God is trying to teach me and the rest of us as well as a movement of God. And where are we going as well? Today I want to look at some of those scriptures that reminds us of our beginning. And hopefully as we get that over and over and over again, it'll help us to chart out where we will be going, hopefully together. You know, in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 23, 25, let's turn our Bibles there, or you just follow along. You know, Jesus began his ministry. And as he thought about his dreams and his vision for the people, the Bible records this. It says that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. There was an excitement about who Jesus was at that time. You know, don't forget that at that time there were a lot of people that claimed to have these miraculous powers, 
because they lived in a desperate time. They were under the Romans for many years. And they want to break out. They were looking for ways to break through. And here comes this carpenter, this handyman, from really from nowhere, and he brought this hope. And he brought this hope in a very tangible way. And people flocked to hear what he had to say. And you know, Jesus was a master at building the masses. And yet, it wasn't the masses that he was after. It was the individual hearts that he wanted to capture. Because he knew that if he gets those people, the world will change. You know, it blows my mind that at the end of Jesus' ministry, there weren't like a huge, massive following that he had. He only had like about 500 people, as some people recorded. 120, you know, and the numbers and the 12 that he had with him, minus one, and then the addition in Acts chapter 1 and 2. He had a small group of people that he honed and he trained, that he helped to have the same heart as him. You know, the title of our lessons today is simply entitled Foundations. Jesus is vision for his community. You know, we live in an information age today. Everything is instantaneous. You know, some of the teens in there says, hey, what happened? You were baptized 26 years ago. Where's the picture? You know, where's the, uh, where's the snapshot? Well, it was 1 o'clock in the morning and we didn't have any cell phones back then. We used something called a camera. And uh, we, we didn't bring one. But we live in such an information age that everything is instantaneous. It's good and it's bad. It's good that we get everything so quickly. I remember in Vietnam when we were there on the mission team and, you know, periodically we would go in and, you know, sneak in Bibles uh, to the church in Vietnam. And Lena would sneak in a couple. I would have a couple in my bag. Gabby, uh, Elizabeth, you know, would have a few in her diaper bag as well, Elizabeth. You know, what happened was that technology changed all that. And that we were able to download the Bible. So we didn't even need to sneak any Bibles in anymore. So hence the word spreads to anybody who wants it, who has an internet connection. So it's good and it's bad. You know, um, one of the Israeli prime ministers said this, and it's so profound. He said that technology has made a dictatorship impossible. And yet, on the other hand, it's made a democracy unbearable. It's so true, isn't it? There's good and there's bad with us with it as well. We're inundated with these ideas. We see things on the media. We see things, we read things on the internet, and we get a lot of ideas. But I think sometimes it's good just to go back and take a look at the foundations again. You know, Jesus talked a lot about foundations. At the beginning of his ministry, what did he talk about? He talked about foundation. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Actually, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 4. So there was this excitement that was building up. And Matthew records in chapter 4 and verse 17, says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach. He says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. What did Jesus say? He says, Listen, he didn't just say, Look, the kingdom of God is near. Get excited. Get happy. He says, Prepare yourselves. Turn your hearts around. For the kingdom of God 
is near. You know, God does his part. And for the last 26 years, I've been amazed at just some of the things that God has done. Some good, some great. They're all good, but some great, but some very humbling in our movement. Some has caused us to really take pause and to think about what we're doing and how to chart the course for the next 20 years, for the next 30 years as well. And I love this passage so much because I go back to it over and over and over again. Not only for myself, but who we are. For us as a community together. We're in this thing together. You know, why do we come to church today? Why do we continue to come to devotional church and meet up with one another? For what? If it's not for the vision that Jesus charted out. I find that Jesus' vision is so much better than my own. I find that Jesus' vision is so much deeper and so much more profound and so much more sustainable than my own, even though I've walked with as a disciple for 26 years. And I tell you what, the more I learn, the more I realize how much I really need to go back to the foundations over and over again. And he starts off his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount. And there's another passage in Luke chapter 6 that parallels this scripture and they call that the Sermon on the Plains. And a lot of commentaries are debating, says, is it the same sermon? Is it a different sermon? But a lot of commentaries also say that, well, listen, Jesus spent three and a half years on, he preached the same thing over and over and over again from different places to different places to reiterate the foundations of his ministry. This is going to be our main text today. In Matthew chapter 5, and verse 1 to verse 12. We're going to read that together. When he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. You know, Jesus used the miracles. Jesus used the healings. Jesus used the crowds to do what? to impart his words to them. The miracles in themselves, besides helping the people, was a tool to get people to sit down and to consider his words. You know, that's all we have today, really. If you think about it, you know, the great services, the great music, all the great things that are being done, but really at the end of the day, it's our relationship with God. It's our times in the morning. It's our times on the airplane. Oh, cracking up the Bible. It's our time at, at, at home. Coming home from work after a long day and cracking up the Bible and asking God, what do you want me to see? It's that personal. It's that intimate in our relationship with God. He says in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what did Jesus say of all the things that he could say? I think about this passage a lot. I thought, you know, of all the things he could say, you know, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. That is the greatest commandment of all. And to love your neighbor as yourself, that is the second greatest commandment of all. Which is still true. But he didn't say that. What did Jesus say? He says, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, I've thought about that scripture a lot. I thought about, you know what? Loving God is the greatest commandment. 
To be honest with you, I really don't know how to do that. To love my neighbor as myself, I in my own nature, I really don't know how to do that. Sometimes I think I do. But when I sit down and consider my relationships, how many times I have to go back and say, I was wrong. I'm always wrong. Not only to my wife, but to the people around me, my children. You know, people ask me all the time, I, I think I have great kids. I really, I really love my kids. I, I, know I'm, I'm, I know I'm biased. But they ask me, I says, you know, what, what do you do with your kids? I say, I tell you what, I say sorry to them a lot. A lot. I let them know that that was on dad. That wasn't your fault. That was dad's fault. Now, you've got to take responsibility for yours as a mature adult. That's what it is. You've got you to gotta differentiate what's your fault and what's other people's faults. But I say sorry a lot. I go through life saying sorry. And that's okay. You know, there's a security that comes from being a Christian. That it's okay. You know, this scripture is so key. Of all the things that Jesus said, he uses this one the most. It is the gateway to our relationship with God. It is the gateway to the greatest commandment to love God. It is the gateway to loving one another. Because without this scripture, we can't learn how to love God. We can't learn how to love one another as Jesus loves. You know, if there's anything that we get today is that this scripture about humility, the poor in spirit. You know, the beatitude, the word blessed, it literally means, you know, to, to, to have the favor of God, the, the unequivocal favor of God. You know, other religions have a form of this. Other religions do have some kind of semblance to this universal truth. But what is the difference between this and all the other religions in the world? That this is rooted in our relationships with God and it's rooted in our relationships with one another. It's not just about self-helping ourselves. We do this because God sees what we're doing. We do this because we know that there is a relationship with God, that we affect God and we affect one another. And there's a relationship with ourselves as well. You know, so many times where we get in trouble is that we have an unhealthy relationship with ourselves. We don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. And I'm not talking about a God who's angry all the time. I'm not talking about a God who's like always pointing blame. I'm talking about a God who genuinely cares about us. But we put our trust in God. And we see things through God's eyes. I think we really find, I don't even think that the word is balance, but we find completeness and rest. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, it's ironic to me that I read that scripture. It says, you know, blessed are those that are utterly, utterly bankrupt. That's how we come to God. And yet, throughout the whole scripture of this passage, he lays out all the things that we must have. There's a little bit of an irony there. I guess that what he's saying is that when there is a poor in spirit, when there's an acknowledgement of a poverty in spirit, then God is able to pour in all the things that he wants us to have. 
You know, I want to ask us today, do we have that spirit, that humility that permeates throughout our lives and permeates in our fellowship? What a great place. What a great vision that Jesus had. That's a great foundation for relationship. Can you imagine we're quick to come up to one another? We're quick to be able to admit our faults. We're quick to look at our own selves first. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, we look around the world today, and I love, I love, I love our opportunities that, that God has given us to travel. You know, for many days after that trip to Burma, every time it rained, I just, I just started tearing up. And I remember going back to Bangkok and looking out my window, and, and it rains a lot in Bangkok. And every time it rained, it, it just brought back memories of the people who have lost loved ones and people that have been washed away like ants. And I thought to myself, you know, man, man this is really tough. And Jesus teaches us to look at the world and mourn and to see beyond ourselves, to see beyond our circumstances and to mourn for the world, to actually care deeply about the world around us. You know, I love that scripture about the parable of the lost son. He came back and he realized his own sin. And he said something that's so profound. He says, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. You know, he realizes something. He realized that his sin was not just some, you know, I, I made a mistake. He says, I, I sinned against, sin against you, God. It's a personal thing. And I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against everybody. I've sinned against the, grand, the, the, the hugeness of my sin. You know, blessed are those who mourn. You know, verse 5 is similar to verse 3. It says that, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You know, the Greek looks down on the scripture and this word. Because there is a condescension about people that they say are giving in, that are not fighting for what they believe in. But Jesus turns things around. He turns this meekness into a strength. It takes a lot of strength to give in to somebody. It takes a lot of strength to submit to somebody. It takes a lot of strength to be able to say, look, I'm going to submit. It takes a lot of trust to be able to give ourselves to someone else. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are meek. You know, um, meekness and humility, they go hand in hand. Verse 6 says, bless those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, Elizabeth is uh, in Honduras right now, and uh, she's working with some kids. And uh, what she did was that she brought her, uh, her Polaroid camera with her. And uh, she was the star attraction of the show. Because what happened was that as she brought the Polaroid, um, she would take pictures of these kids, and they would, she would give them these pictures, and she would find out that this is, for a lot of them, it was the very first picture that they have of themselves and uh i you know we 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 loaded up with uh, 50 pictures and it ran out on the first two hours and it was such disappointment oh my gosh you know all the other kids must be really really disappointed 
You know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does it mean? It's not talking about, if you look at the scriptures carefully, it's not talking about an individual righteousness with God and with one another. Yes, although it conveys that. It's talking about taking on something bigger than ourselves. It's about looking throughout the world and seeing how we can add value to this world. You know, I want to talk to the campus students a little bit. I wish, I was converted into campus 26 years ago, and I wish, I wish there were days, and I wish, man, I wish I was back in the campus ministry again. It's so exciting. You know, your whole lives are all ahead of you. You know, especially in the West here, we got some great campuses in the West, some of the leading campuses in the world. And some of the great community campuses as well. You know, what, can, what is possible with just a little faith in God's Word? What is possible to think beyond ourselves and to adopt God's plan and God's vision for His community? You know, I wish I was a camp student again. Man, I look good, don't you think? I'm just kidding. I mean, I felt young back then. So much energy ahead, so much life ahead, so much to do. You know, so many opportunities, you know, to thirst and to hunger for righteousness, to make a difference in this world. You know, I love, I love what you guys did. Changing the name from the, the teen ministry to the youth and family ministry because it, 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 it conveys something even greater than just one segment of our ministry. It conveys that we're in this thing together. That this, what I read in the Beatitudes, it's not just about these individual people striving in their relationship with God, but it's all of us together building this community together. I became a Christian 26 years ago because I believed in something. As a campus student, I really saw that, man, I, I got a great opportunity here. But I saw the kingdom of God, and I remember at that time, I remember I was dating somebody for five years at that time, and I remember seeing the church for the very first time. And I saw the vision that these people had. And I remember going to make a phone call at a phone booth at that time. And I remember calling her and I, I said, listen, there was a dichotomy of feeling. One was total, utter sadness. The feeling that I understood that, you know what? This relationship is not going to work. I knew it as, as a young person. Somehow, someway, I knew it. It, didn't, it not, did not exist. It cannot exist together. And yet, on the other hand, there was this complete, utter joy in what I found. You know, 26 years later, I look back, that was perhaps, at that time, the hardest decision I've ever made. But I look back, I go, man, that was the easiest decision I've ever made. To be part of something greater than myself and still be part of something greater than myself. You know, Lena and I have been out in the ministry for about six years. And after 17 years on the mission field, we felt like we were getting tired. And our marriage was getting a little disconnected. And I was there, and we needed time to just get back, step back, look at ourselves, mend our relationship, get stronger, and come back even stronger. But you know, the vision is still there. 
I love that scripture when Jesus says, you know, what is the kingdom of God like? As he was trying to find words to describe to us what is the kingdom of God like. He says, it is like a branch that spreads itself out where even the birds come in and perch in its branches. That's what the kingdom of God is. It's a branch, it's a tree that offers hope to a world that literally is dying. And we are part of that kingdom. Blessed, that's us. Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about us. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. That is the foundation of what Jesus is trying to teach. You, me, we are blessed. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 5. You know, Paul understood this scripture. And just as Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Paul 2, in verse 19, lays out these, the list of sins. He says, listen, guys, we've got to get rid of these. These immorality, the, the sexual sins that are in our lives. We need to get rid of the relational sins that are in our lives. For what? So that we make room for something even greater. He says in verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things... There is no law. What did Paul say? What is the book of Galatians about? It's a book about freedom. He spends the first five chapters, four chapters, expounding. Listen, you were given this freedom. This freedom to do great things for God. This freedom to live a great life. And in verse 22, he says, the fruit, in a way to achieve that, is through the Holy Spirit. I am not the smartest guy on the face of the earth. My wife is pretty smart. I got decent grades. But I, even I know that there's a, if you look at this, this passage here, it seems like there's a, there's, 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 a, uh, there's a problem grammatically. Paul says the fruit, which is singular, of the Spirit is all these things. But there's insight to be found here. What is Paul saying? He's saying that, listen, the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces in us not an imbalance of one thing and an an imbalance lacking in other areas. But the fruit of the Spirit, one fruit, creates all these things in us together. It is impossible to achieve this on our own. It is impossible to achieve this through our own wisdom. You know, T.S. Eliot says, we're always going to be exploring. It's going to be this way. This is going to be in vogue. This is going to be trending. He says, at the end of the day, what's really important is this. What is important? He says, love. He says, what's important? Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. He says, against these things, there is no law. What is Jesus' vision for his community? Just as Paul adopted these things. These are the things that God has given us, the tools to build together. 
so that even the birds can come in and branch and perch in its branches. That's my vision. That's my vision. I've been around for 26 cotton-picking years. Lena and I have traveled more than we can really list off. I'm not kidding. By the time Elizabeth had moved back, she had lived in five countries. We moved five, ten different times. I've seen enough of the world to know that this is the answer. There is no other answer. And Jesus started it with his foundations. And he says, join me. Be a part of this together. You know, as we close, I'd like us to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we uh, segue ourselves into communion. You know, Paul went into the church in Corinth and some say that that was really a tough time for him. But yet when you look at some of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible, don't you think they're in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? They are. Because these scriptures, these beautiful scriptures, we're going to go watch a soccer game. I can't believe we're, we're, we're truncating the service. Maybe Rush Limbaugh is right. You know, the country's going downhill. We're watching soccer this afternoon. Paul understood. You know, soccer is called the beautiful game. And uh, this is called the, 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 the scripture that really is, 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 is elevated in so many ways. He came into Corinth and he was scared. Corinth was a city known for great, incredible wealth. Corinth was a city known for incredible you know, just evil. Corinth was like the New York or the L.A. or the Bangkok of our days. And he was scared. He was too dumb for New York. He was too ugly for L.A. That was an uh, album title by, uh, by, uh, by Jennings in 1992. Waylon Jennings, misspelled. And, it, it, and you know, it's, it's such a great title, don't you think? And that's how Paul felt as he went into Corinth. He says, guys, listen, I'm not as smart as you. I'm not as pretty as you. And he lays things out and look at what he says at the end of 1 Corinthians. He says, I will show you the most excellent way in verse 13. He says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge and have the faith that can move mountains but am not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my bodies to the flame but am not loved, I gain nothing. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy. It is not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. And love never fails. You know, Paul toiled in the church in Corinth. And yet that was his conclusion. Foundation. Love never fails. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, take communion, God, we're so grateful to you.
God, we see that you came down to lay your life down for nothing, something more brilliant or, or nothing more flashy, but it's really something more meaningful, more deep. Father, thanks so much for allowing Jesus to die for us and to show us an example of what that love is. Father, help us to imitate Jesus' love for us. Help us to lay down our lives for one another. Help us to be grateful always, God, for the sacrifice that you've given us. Help us, God, as we take the bread and the wine to, to remember that it took the ultimate sacrifice for us to really open up our eyes to see your love for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.